with that, we're going to dive into 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 12 through 15. I, I, I've covered verses 3 to 11 up to this point, um, and we're going to dive into 12 through 15. 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 12 through 15. Peter writes, Therefore, I intend always to remind you of these qualities. Though you know them and are established in the truth that you have, I think it right as long as I am in this body to stir you up by way of reminder, since I know that the putting off of my body will be soon, as our Lord Jesus Christ made clear to me, and I will make every effort so that after my departure, you may be able at any time to recall these things. Amen. So if you remember, um, I preached uh, through 3 through 11, and some of the overarching truths there is that, I mean, really the focus on Jesus Christ and what he's done uh, for, for us and on our behalf, and how because of what Jesus Christ has done, solely because of what he's done, you and I are able to be divine part, like partakers of the divine nature. We're able to participate in that because of what Jesus Christ has done. And another truth that has been drawn from that is because Christ is in us, there is going to be change in our lives. We are going to grow. Those that, that are saved are going to grow. I mean, this is, that's a biblical teaching that Christ is in you. You're going to see growth in your life. You're going to see certain qualities in your life begin to grow and flourish. You're going to begin to, remember, develop that brotherly affection. You're going to begin loving the church. You're going to begin loving others that you really didn't love before. You're going to be able to, I mean, they're just this interchange, this organic change in your life because of the seed of the gospel is going to bear fruit. And now it's with that that we come to verse 12 in which Peter says, I intend always to remind you of these qualities, though you know them and are established in the truth that you have. And we see that word therefore, right? Whenever we see the word therefore in the scriptures, let's all remember to ask a simple question, what is it therefore, right? We know that it refers to all Peter said earlier in verses 3 through 11. And put simply, that it's all about Jesus. And he goes on. And the goal here, remember, is Second Peter, right? One of the, I mean, the overarching context of this letter is that, um, of course, Peter is also going to refute false teaching. And remember, First Peter has to do with persecution from outside of the church, right? Where Second Peter has to do with, with, with false teaching arising within the church. But here in this section, at 12 through 15, Peter's goal isn't that he would refute the, te- the false teachers, but rather that he would ground the believers that he's addressing in personal holiness, flowing out of the understanding of what Jesus Christ has done on, on their behalf. And remember the fact that because they are in Christ, they are divine partakers. Hence, there will be growth in the Christian life. And this isn't Peter speaking with an insulting tone, all right? This is, I would say the tone would be similar to the letter of 2 Timothy, right? We know that 2 Timothy, written by Paul to a very special individual of his, a young man named Timothy. Paul knows that his life is going to end soon, and he knows that the heralding, the proclamation of the gospel needs to go forth. And there is, there's also a charge in the letter of 2 Timothy. And there's really a tone of a father who loves his son and is passing some last words to him. So Paul, in that letter, isn't insulting his son. He knows that his son has room in the faith to grow. 
but he also acknowledges and encourages the fact that he's been standing in the faith. And the same is going on here in Second Peter, this kind of similar, very pastoral, very loving and concerned tone here in verses 12 through 15. Again, this isn't Peter with an insulting tone. This is Peter acknowledging that the believers that he's addressing, that they already know these truths. Hence the reminders. You guys already know these truths, but guess what? I'm going to keep reminding you over and over and over and over again. So Peter's intention here in verse 12 is that he would re- always remind them of these qualities. Always, that word there in, in, the, in the scriptures here is an adverb. And when placed forward, it underlines his intention to provide a permanent reminder of these qualities. Referring to the truth again in verse 3 through 11. The believers that Peter is addressing knows these truths. In fact, they not only know these truths... But it also tells us that these believers have been established in these truths. One theologian, D. Edmund Hebert, explains the implication is that they already knew them, but they must be reminded to keep them central in their thinking. Establish, that word. It's a second participle there, but it's much stronger than that word know, knowledge. And it pictures knowledge as having been confirmed and strengthened by subsequent experience. And because of that, it's imparted to, to the believer this, this inner character of stability. That now that not only do they know, okay, but because of, because of all these experiences of trusting the Lord now, that, they've been, that they're firm in their standing. There's been this character that has developed in the Lord. They're established. And these believers were established in the truth that they have. And what Peter is referring to is the truth of the gospel. You and I are to continuously be growing and being established in our understanding of the good news of Jesus Christ. And Peter understood this deeply. And that word, check this out, that word established is the same word used by the Lord Jesus when he spoke to Peter on the night he was betrayed. And it's going to come up on the screen here, Luke twenty-two thirty-one through 34. This is Jesus speaking to Peter, the same author of this letter. Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you that he might sift you like wheat, but I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. That same word that Peter uses, established, strengthen your brothers. Peter said to him, Lord, I'm ready to go with you both to prison and to death. Jesus said, I tell you, Peter, the rooster will not crow this day until you deny three times that you know me. Peter understood. Peter understood the importance of being established. And he uses the same word that the Lord Jesus Christ gave to him. Jesus came up to Peter and says, look, you're going to fail. And after you return, strengthen the brothers. And do you remember the, the picture here in John 21? After Christ resurrects, Jesus fully restores Peter. So this word of established was very personal for St. Peter, the apostle Peter. And how personal this was. Peter knew from his own sad experience that the believers in his time also needed to keep these truths before them. And I'm sure that the fact that these false teachers were also, the fact that these false teachers were having an influence was also extenuating Peter's concern for for the believers in his day. And these two verses show us Peter's personal concern for the believers. This is now a man who was seasoned, all right? He was established in Christ. He was, uh, you know, he, was, he, was, he had some experience under his belt, so to speak. 
So to sum up here in verse 12, it's not this demeaning tone. It's a pastoral tone. And it's one where Peter is simply telling the believers this truth. Remember what you know and be what you are. Remember what you know and be what you are. And this is radical. This is huge. It's also beautiful. It's going to be a reminder which Peter reminds them of what they know and exhorts them to be what they are. Let me tell you something. This is simple, and I love it. This is what we need today, every day. I mean, let's, let's look at our own lives, right? If you want to look at one of the central teachings of verses 3 through 11, right, of the qualities, it's really to examine our lives to see if we're in the, to see if we're in the, in the faith. That whole phrase, confirm your calling and election, really is saying examine yourself. So let's look at our lives. Look at the times in which we've struggled. And when, when, especially when we talk with each other as believers, right, and, we, and maybe whether we're confronting each other in sin or whether we're merely just counseling, um, you know, our, our fellow brothers and sisters in times of struggles, we, we know, right? We know what we need to do. We know, uh, perhaps for some of us, we know the truths that we're not believing. But I tell you, the problem is for, for all of us, every one of us, every human, is you and I tend to forget gospel truths. You and I tend to have bad memories. We tend to have bad short-term and long-term memories. It's the whole phrase that you and I tend to have gospel amnesia. Maybe we battle bitterness, unforgiveness. Maybe we battle with shame or with blaming. And when we do, in essence, you know what we're doing? In reality, we're forgetting, we're forgetting what, we, you know, what we know. And we're forgetting who we are. And in essence, this scripture here in 2 Peter, can, this scripture alone can be used to make a case for gospel-centeredness. Because simply put, it's all about Jesus. Something that has helped me tremendously in my walk with Christ is these four liberating truths that we're going to go over. These are, these are truths that are obvious and grounded in the scriptures. These are truths that prior to discovering them that I, that I knew and believed. And sometimes it just takes a fellow brother or sister in Christ to help you make sense of it. And one of these brothers in the Lord uh, is, a, is, a, is a man by the name of Tim Chester. And uh, he wrote a book called uh, How People, um, or not How People, I'm sorry, You Can Change. And uh, he suggests that underlying all of our sinful behavior and all of our negative emotions is a failure to believe one of these four truths at functional level. And that embracing, believing, trusting, delighting in the appropriate, in the appropriate liberating truth therefore has a power to set us free from sin though we need to recognize that this typically involves a daily struggle, the fight of faith. These four liberating truths offer a great diagnostic tool for addressing sin in our lives and the lives of others. These are the four truths. Number one, God is great. Amen? (laughs) God is great, so we don't have to be in control. Number two, God is glorious, so we don't have to fear others. Number three, God is good so we don't have to look elsewhere. Number four, God is gracious, so we don't have to prove ourselves. When you look at those four truths, all right, when you and I, really, in reality, when we're in sin, when, for example, like um, uh, uh, this morning, you know, I'd gotten upset with my kids. We were running late, you know, and I don't know if you guys have ever had that. um, And uh, you're like, man, we got to get out the door, and you just... You know, I'm beginning to freak out. I'm beginning to get angry. I'm, I'm getting loud. And, you know, and, uh, and I just had to stop myself. 
Because in reality, I wasn't believing that God is great. Right? Because things were out of my control. And hence, because, you know, because of that fact, I, in my life was reflecting that I wasn't believing the central truth, that I was not believing God is great. So I don't have to be in control because I wasn't in control, and I wasn't believing God was great, and hence I was reacting. And if, you, if, you, if, we, take, if we take a close look and we look at the way that we respond to things, it's really a failure to believe one of these things. And what I wanted us to do... I, um, this video here is a, a quick clip of, um, I, love, I, love, I love the power of video. And uh, I think that there are so many creative Christians who are able, and I'm not a creative Christian, all right? Um, um, if, if, if I were to, like, do a video, it would be stick figures. That's how artistic I am. But I love that there are other believers, that there's other gifts in the body in which it's able, they're able to communicate stories. And I wanted you just to watch this clip of, um, of a young lady named Megan. If 
I'm so concerned with my own with my own image in front of other people that I'm never going to experience the freedom freedom that Jesus purchased for me on the cross by entering into my mess. I'm not saying I have it all together by any means, um, but I'm experiencing more and more freedom every day as I um, accept that I'm messy and that I'm I'm never going to be perfect and that when I'm able to be weak, that he's made to look really good. Real stories. And the truth for Megan there was God is glorious, so we don't have to fear others. And coming back to even my own story this morning, re- you know, reacting out of the fact, not, not believing that God is great and me not having to be in control, I just had to stop. And then to talk to my youngest son in the restroom because he was also being grumpy this morning and I just told him I said Theo you you know you and I we're not really believing that God is great but if we are if we're going to respond this way we're not we're not believing that God is great that he's in control and we just were able to have a heart to heart there and we're able to both fix our gaze back onto God but ponder on these four great truths Right? And when, really, when we look at our lives, we're really going to see that when we, when, we, when we fall into sin, it's really a failure to, to really believe one of these. That's why we always have to remember, what, is, what gospel truth do I need to remember and cling to? And when we do that, it exposes the lie that we're believing. Verse 13 through 14, Peter writes, I think it right, as long as I am in this body, to stir you up by way of reminder since I know that the putting off of my body will be soon, as our Lord Jesus Christ made clear to me. It's here that Peter states his duty, his obligation, and his drive, that as long as he's alive, all right, as long as he's in this body, he's going to keep reminding the believers, and not merely reminders that are monotone and quiet, but rather Peter was going to stir them up. He's going to stir the pot. And that phrase, stir up, means to arouse thoroughly, <laughs> to wake up from sleep, and not only to wake them up, but to keep them alert. So it's like wake up, and it's this constant like smacking in the face. Stay awake. This is what Peter was going to do. As long as I'm here, this is what I'm going to do <laughs> for the believers. And what's interesting is that the word for body that Peter uses is the word tent. Maybe some of your translations, you have the word tabernacle. And this is a metaphor used of the human body. This word, this word pictures the body as the present temporary dwelling place of our souls. Peter explained earlier that as believers we're uh, sojourners and that we're aliens on our way to our eternal home in 1 Peter 2.11. And this metaphor is used to describe our temporary, okay, keep that word in mind, temporary and transient status here. And I believe that this is to be the battle for all of us here in America. We think that our tents or our tabernacles are our permanent dwelling places. We don't look at them as these are our bodies and they're going to be temporary. And that this life that we have, all right, is short. We tend to flip that and we're like, hey, we're, you know, we're going to be here permanently. So we better, you know, we better make these tabernacles. We better, we better pimp them out and we better make them glorious in our own eyes. I don't know if any of you guys remember the show, um, MTV. 
I know it's not a channel Christians should watch, all right? But MTV used to have this show, or I don't know if it's still on. I I don't have cable anymore. But they used to have a show called Cribs, right? And uh, if if you don't know, if you've never heard of the show, uh, MTV Cribs was a time when celebrities would open up their homes and show off, right? And, you know, I'd be amazed because you'd look at some of these homes, I mean, multi-million dollar homes like Shaquille O'Neal and all these different, uh, you know, uh, basketball celebrities, athletes, uh, musicians, and everything, all right, you name it. And they would go, you'd see their homes, they'd have state-of-the-art, like full-court basketball court in their backyard, they'd have Olympic-sized pool in their homes, I mean, their homes would have elevators and escalators in them. They're, they would have Ferraris and Lamborghinis. And you're just like, wow, that's so cool. Like, you're just blown away. And I don't know if you ever had uh, the opportunity to watch it, but it was a big show, and it was a big showing off. It was a big look at what I got. And I was thinking of this parallel the other night. It's like you and I are on cribs. Okay? And God is the guest that you and I are inviting, all right? We've got the camera. We've got our house. We've got, we're presenting our tabernacles. And we're like, God, come here. Let me show you what I've done. And we're so excited. We're so into ourselves. We're so into our little world and our story. And I was reminded of an old Coke commercial. They were making a little stab at MTV Cribs. And, uh, and we're going to watch this clip. And it, the quality is really bad because it's an, it's an older commercial. There's no HD version of it, all right? I mean, I guess 2006 is old for technology, right? Um, but when you watch this clip, or even if you don't relate to it culturally, what, what I want you, the, the, the point being here is, I, I thought that this is what God sees when we're presenting our story in our little worlds, right? With that, let's watch this clip. What's up, everybody? I'm Deluxe 247. This is my place. Come on in. Now, when people come into your home, you want to have something to take their breath away, like this. Feel me? This is my main lounge area. You know, when me and my boys hang out and whatnot. This is my dog, Max. He's third Rottweiler. He crazy. Let me take you to the penthouse. Come on. Look familiar? True player from day one. Come on. Now, this is the lab. Every hit I ever made was tossed up right here. Now, when your career starts popping off, it's mandatory you get the nice whip. I'm not about being all flashy, but when I saw these, I was like, these are all me, son. Honey, you got to take out the garbage. CokeMusic.com. Set up a studio, make music, play it live. That clip because I'm thinking this is what God sees. Like when, we, when we're so, when we make these tabernacles permanent dwelling places, I feel like this is what God sees. He's not impressed. And here's something I learned about following Jesus from Peter. He knew where he was heading. And he knew what he was going to do in light of that. In other words, eternity impacted Peter's life trajectory. It totally did. It transformed his life. It gave him purpose. It gave him passion. It gave him zeal. It, it was the reason why he woke up every day. And that's why he says, as long as I'm in this body, as long as I'm in this tabernacle, this is what I'm going to be all about. It's going to be all about Jesus. And Peter knew that the putting off of his body would be soon. 
And this is something that the Lord Jesus made clear to him. Do you remember the scene in John 21? After Jesus restores Peter, he says this to him in John 21, 18 through 19. Truly, truly, I say to you, he's Jesus talking to Peter. When you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. And this he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, Peter, follow me. And according to our church fathers and church history, we know that Peter was crucified upside down. There's something profound here. Peter was given this revelation from the Lord Jesus as to how his earthly tent was going to be disposed of. It didn't, but it didn't dampen his zeal, right? It's not like, hey, you're going to die this death, and Peter's like, oh, man, what's the point? No, it didn't dampen his zeal at all. It, it empowered it. The reality of death for Peter was more real at this point. The ending gave him proper perspective that this life we live in the body is temporary. It's not the end. That's why he says, as long as I'm in this body. But he also knew that there was going to be a putting off of his body. There is a day in which we will share in the glory of Christ. There is a day yet in the future where we will fully realize that we are indeed co-heirs with Jesus Christ. There's a day in the future that Jesus makes all things new, that there's a, there's a new heaven, a new earth, where there's complete restoration of all things. And Peter, living with this end in mind, it fueled his life in, it fueled his life in the here and now, in other words. That fact did. It's almost as if Peter is saying this, in light of eternity, as long as I'm given breath to breathe in the here and now, I'm going to make much of Jesus in this life. How about us? Let's talk about death for a moment. Death has a way of forcing a decision on our part. When you and I are faced with the reality of death, something happens, right? We're forced to reflect. We react. We respond. When we're faced with some sort of travesty or, or something hits very close to home, you and I tend to respond in one of two ways. We either draw near to God or we run away from him. And we know that death is a sobering reality for us all. It's baffled the minds of humans for time began there. One of my favorite books of the Bible is Ecclesiastes because it's, there's so much wisdom there. And the writer of Ecclesiastes says this. In Ecclesiastes 7.2, he says, It's better to go to the house of mourning than to go to the house of feasting, for this is the end of all mankind, and the living will lay it to heart. And the reason why I love Ecclesiastes is because when you read it, you tend to think that this guy is just like Debbie Downer. You're like, you know, this guy is like, man, why is he always so down? Why is he using all these extreme, you know, crazy sayings? Like, I'm getting depressed just reading him, you know? Or, or sometimes you just feel like, man, this guy just needs a hug. And, you know, like, let's just, you know, let's just get together, have some, have some cake and coffee. And, you know, it, it, life's not that bad. But that's totally, even though he's saying these, this is wisdom literature. He's saying it in a manner to communicate truths to us, all right? And sometimes there is over-exaggeration, or sometimes there's a statement of a, of a harsh truth. And the teacher here is saying that it's better to go, in other words, he's saying it's better to go to a funeral than a wedding. How many of you guys would agree with that? 
You don't have to raise your hand. But maybe we're thinking, this guy's crazy. This doesn't make sense because we celebrate at weddings. It's a, it's a great time. It's a celebration. People are giddy. People are in love. It's time to meet new people, eat good food, and so forth. Again, this is wisdom literature, and our teacher is wanting to get his point across. And this, th- these few verses in, in chapter 7, it's centered around the theme of death. And we all know that one day we'll die. Unless our Lord Jesus comes before the day we die and takes us with him. And we all die, and that's common sense. But the issue here is that we don't like to think about death. We're not often faced with the reality of it, but when we attend a funeral, especially of a loved one or someone we know, or we go to a burial site, we're faced with the reality of death. We can't escape it. What it does, death, when we're faced with it, is it helps us to number our days. Hence, Psalm 90, verse 12, the psalmist writes, So teach us to number our days. And why? That we may get a heart of wisdom. And coming back to Ecclesiastes, what the teacher means by the living will lay it to heart is that when faced with the reality of death, it will alter our perspective and we will live our lives accordingly. We will understand that life is but a vapor. It's fleeting. It's brief, and that we need to make our lives count. I mean, right? Death brings that out, the authentic versus the superficial. Every time I go to a funeral, every time I go to a burial site, I'm reminded of this truth. I'm faced with the reality that one day I'll be in a coffin. One day I'll be buried. Lord, I want to make this life count. I want it to matter. And it forces me to question the things that I've been living for. I reflect on my marriage, on my kids, on my, on my you know, just on ministry, on evangelism. And Peter lived the life here and now with this perspective. His life was all wrapped up in the story of God, not the story of himself. And what legacy did he want to leave? He tells us here in verse 15, 2 Peter 1, 15. And I'll make every effort so that after my departure, you may be able at any time to recall these things. That phrase, make every effort, same as verse 9. And how were the, goal, how were, how were the believers going to be able to recall all these things? A couple different theories, and it's not important that we dive into them. But perhaps Peter was talking about Mark, right? Mark's account of the gospel was, was really... Peter's, Mark wrote it, but it was really Peter's account of, of the life of Christ. Perhaps Peter was referring to these letters, these epistles of First and Second Peter. Or maybe he thought through his legacy, through the people that he discipled, for example, like Silas and Mark. And whatever it is, that, that was his trajectory, that whatever, I mean, this, this life I live is going to be made much of Jesus, okay? And the legacy I'm going to leave is that you're going to remember that it's all about Jesus. And you're going to be able to recall that. In closing, brothers and sisters, can we, can we say the same? Can we say the same? We know that Jesus has it all together. We know that Jesus is the author and the perfecter of our faith. We know that Jesus is going to see the good work that he started in our lives to completion. 
We know that Jesus is working for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. What about you? You can have the praise team come, come up. I don't know what season of life you're in. We're all in different seasons of, of life. Of life. Perhaps some of us uh, are just on cruise control. Perhaps some of us are really being challenged at this point in our lives and going through some thick waters. Perhaps some of us are just complacent and need to be stirred up. I don't know. But God does know. And what I want to encourage you with is what reminders need to be repeated in your life. Because if your life is off its intended trajectory, it's really a misunderstanding of gospel truths. And if you were to look at even those four simple gospel truths of God, that God is great, that God is glorious, that God is good, and that God is gracious, I mean, which one have you not been believing? Which one have you been struggling to believe. And perhaps if that's you, you need to remind yourself of who God is and what he's done on your behalf. And solely because of who he is and what he's done, we're given a new identity. We're given, we know the question to, who are you? And these are indeed reminders worth repeating. Perhaps for some of us in here, our, our, again, our life's trajectory has been off course. Maybe our lives haven't really been about Jesus. We've forgotten what he's done. We've forgotten who we are. So what is the appropriate response? What is the response that God demands when we find ourselves in a place where we're not living for his glory? Is it, is it go to church more? Is it, is it wake up earlier and pray more? Is it, hey, you need to give more? What is it? simple response is repent. And I think we forget that. That when we do get off, 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 off course, we tend to not believe that, that God is gracious. That we don't have to prove ourselves. We just come to him and we repent. And who better knew that than Peter? <laughs> right? I mean, um, I was reading this, this article here this week about the difference between Peter and Judas. I mean, some of the common things that they had, right, Peter and Judas, is that they were both disciples. And guess what? They both failed miserably. They both made mistakes. They both were led astray. But what is the one difference? Peter repented and Judas did not. What about your response? One was transformed by the greatness glory and goodness and graciousness of God and the other was not so I just challenge you whatever stage you are in life all of us has room to grow and with Christ in us the hope of glory the promise is we are going to grow let's pray
Father God, forgive me for forgetting just so often, Lord, the privilege that we have to call you Father. I mean, so thankful that we don't address you by dictator. <laughs> you want us to call you Father. Because a father has children he loves. And you are a great father. You are a glorious father. You are a good father. And you are a gracious father. And God, I know that every day it's a battle. That in some aspect, I know that those are truths that never change. And God, I know that at some point every day I forget one of those four truths. And God, I know that there are also people in this room that forget those simple truths of you. And God, I thank you that also, God, that you don't stand in condemnation. You can't because your son Jesus that you sent has taken the full wrath of God and has taken our condemnation. And I know that what you desire of us is a response of, of humility and repentance. It's coming to the end of ourselves and saying, God, you know what? I've been trying to, to prove myself, and I'm done. Or, God, I've been living in, in, in the fear of others and, and this, this dire need for acceptance from this group of people. I'm done with it because I know that I'm accepted in you. Or, God, I know that in my life I've been trying to find satisfaction in things of the world and not in you. And when I do that, I'm not believing that you are good and, and, and all goodness flows from you. So, God, I'm just praying that we would respond by just clinging to the glorious gospel truths that we have in your Son that shed so much light on these aspects of your character, God. And, God, I also pray that we would also look at our life and our journey. God, I know that there's just so much room in my life to grow. And I'm sensing that there's also that same, that same longing in the lives of many people here. And we don't lay our heads down, but we do look at our lives. And we do ask, where, where are we going? And I pray, God, that you would wake us up Stir us up by way of reminder of these truths, God. Not only awaken us, but let your spirit keep us awake. God, I pray for people here that maybe, maybe have been struggling with their life trajectory. Maybe they're pursuing something that, that, that they know they shouldn't be. And maybe they need to pursue something that you've laid on their heart. I'm praying there for, just for bold faith, God. Let them take that step of faith, God clinging to the truth that they need to cling to and taking a step of faith, God. I'm praying that for all of us in this room, that eternity would rock our worlds and that we would all live with the end in mind. Awaken us, God. Awaken us by your spirit and fill us with your spirit, God. We, we long for that and we pray for that, God. Thank you for your word. Thank you, for the fact that you use imperfect people, God. Thank you, Lord, that we could learn gospel truths from a man that understood failure from St. Peter. But thank you that we also have an example of what it means to follow Christ and what it means to live a life well lived. 
thank you again, Father, for being great, glorious, good, and gracious. In Christ's name I pray. Amen.